Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Boy, it is so nice to get back into our studio again and not have to record an episode on our iPhone in a noisy hotel room in Uptown Charlotte, although it was a lovely city. It was so nice. We've actually talked about moving there. Um, (laughs) But I also really enjoyed taking a shower in my own home. It's been so long. We just had one nightmare experience after another with uh, the airline that we flew. And I won't say what airline it is, but it rhymes with Schmontier. Wait, that's not, that doesn't even. Yeah, it all started with the the medical thing that we were talking about before. And right, we don't, right, we don't right, have right, to right, get into right, that. So I did eventually fly out, which was great. And I met you and the crew, as I will henceforth refer to them as. And um, shows went great. They did. Shows yes. went great. We had a good time. But because of moving some things around, we had to move hotels more than we wanted to. And, you know, okay, fine. And then it was time to go. And I was like, I'm going to miss Charlotte. And then she says, I really wish we could stay a few more days. Mistake. Yeah, because apparently uh, the universe heard you yep. and canceled our flight out. Right. And we, we couldn't get out until uh, Tuesday night because of thunderstorms and the fact that the airline that we flew, Schmontier, um, had a very limited schedule and couldn't get us out for days. Right. So eventually it came time. We were ready to fly out and we're sitting at the gate and it's 20 minutes past the time that we were supposed to have left already. And we're both like, are we at the right place? What is happening? No announcements, nothing. Nothing. Uh, then we get on the plane They start boarding when we were supposed to be taking off. And then we sat on the runway for I don't know how long. We end up in Orlando an hour late uh, and then sit on the runway again for another 15 minutes. And then we get out and we go to baggage claim and baggage doesn't show up for like five hours. It was more like an hour, but it was pretty significant. Luckily, we did get everything. Everything worked out just fine. We got home. Right. Our Lyft driver was a delight and spoke to me in Spanish. 
But it was a nightmare flying experience. It couldn't have gone more wrong outside of crashing. Well, um, I had a panic attack on our flight home, which was delightful. I don't think it was related to the travel experience at all. I just I just did. And <laughs> I'm sure it was terrible for you because all of a sudden you just started rubbing my side like, <laughs> okay, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> like, yes, I'm fine. I'm just hyperventilating and crying. No big deal. <laughs> So I said, yeah, but tonight's puppy night. Yeah, and, and everything was better. Calmed her right down. I've got a story for you. Shall we do it? Please tell me things. All right. Minnie Winston was 77 years old when she first noticed the blood. Oh. Um, yeah. It seemed to be pooling on the bathroom floor. It was September 8th, 1987, and Minnie lived with her husband, William, in the home that they had owned for over two decades. Was Minnie hemorrhaging? No. Oh. Nobody was hemorrhaging that they could see. William, 79 years old, was having some serious health issues. In fact, he was on kidney dialysis at home. And Minnie kind of served as his caretaker. It had been an extremely stressful day. So to unwind, Minnie had drawn herself a hot bath and settled into the tub to relax. Hmm. But she couldn't. For some reason, she, she became anxious and edgy and soon a headache started to set in. So she grabbed a towel and stepped out of the tub and put her foot right into what appeared to be a growing pool of blood that seemed to be bubbling up through the floorboards. Coming from below? From below. She called out to her husband, William, but he was fast asleep in their room. So she quickly threw a robe on and she rushed across the hall to wake her husband up and tell him what, what, what was going on. That's when she discovered that the blood, or whatever it was, was not just in the bathroom. When she got to the bedroom, she woke William up, and together they went and searched for the source of this. And what they found was more blood. They found blood in the living room bubbling up through the floorboards, in a bedroom, the hallway, the kitchen, even in a crawl space. Oh my gosh. The rust-colored liquid seemed to be spattering them as they walked about the house, but they couldn't find the source. As they're walking about, they could feel it hitting their face. So it's like spurting up. It's coming from the floor for sure, but it seemed to be coming from all directions at once and from nowhere. They couldn't pinpoint what it was or where it was coming from. Minnie described it later as like a sprinkler spraying all over the house. Yeah, that's concerning. They couldn't find the source. They spent a good hour and a half checking the house. They are much more dedicated than I would be. I'd be like, all right, bye. Yeah, I know. I'd be out in the car warming it up. Um, at first, they thought, and this is pretty logical, maybe a wounded animal had gotten inside somehow, but they could find no evidence of that. They thought maybe it was William's dialysis machine somehow had sprung a leak, but that didn't make sense either. And no. they looked and there were no leaks found anyway. I would feel like maybe your house was built on top of some sort of <laughs> blood reservoir. I don't know. <laughs> now, they had locked the doors to the house that night at 9 p.m. That was kind of like their custom. And it was about 1130 when Minnie first noticed the blood. After an exhaustive search with no results, they thought, well, geez, we better call 911. The first on the scene were the EMTs. 
And their initial thought was, well, it's an elderly couple. They seem confused. Maybe one or both of them have cut themselves somewhere and they don't realize it. So they examined both Minnie and William meticulously and discovered no wounds. Okay. At this point, the police arrived along with a lab technician. The lab's technici- lab technician's name was uh, Brenda Dipple. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but could you remind me where this is taking place again? This is in Atlanta. I don't know if I told you that or oh, not. Oh, okay. Atlanta, Georgia. So the police show up with their lab technician, uh, Brenda Dipple. While the lab tech collected samples of this rusty colored liquid, the police searched the home for intruders. But they found no one. So they questioned the couple. They determined that there appeared to be no accident, Mm -hmm. no homicide or crime of any kind. So they just decided to call it a night and left. Left them with the pools of mystery blood? Yeah. I don't know. I guess probably their handbook doesn't say has to figure out where the blood is coming from. It's more like a, (laughs) you know, stop robbers kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's, you know, if the blood is coming from a body, you know, lying there, then they should probably confirm that it's coming from the body lying there. But when it's just appearing out of nowhere, seemingly, that's a little harder to pinpoint. (laughs) So there is a guy, his name is Kurt Roulette. Is he hemorrhaging? No. Oh. He was an author and a paranormal enthusiast, and he decided to pick up the investigation himself. According to his book, Labyrinth 13, True Tales of the Occult Crime and Conspiracy, he said he contacted Minnie over the phone after the event had taken place. Minnie confirmed that the couple had lived in the house for 22 years with nothing unusual like this ever happening. No previous blood pooling. Nothing. Okay. No unexplained bumps in the night. Nothing. She insisted at this point that nothing unusual had happened because she decided on her own that the liquid was not blood, but rusty water from an old water heater. Okay, fair enough. She said she thought the water heater had ruptured and somehow steam had mixed with the rust and it got into the ductwork, which sounds very reasonable. But here's the thing. Oh, no. Remember Brenda Dipple? Yeah. The lab tech? Dips. Yep. B-Dips. After B-Dips collected samples of the liquid, she ran tests on the samples. The tests were conclusive. Not only was this substance blood, but it was human blood, type O. Kurt Rollett thought uh, maybe it was just easier for Minnie to ignore the lab analysis mm. and believe that and, and believe that the water heater story was what actually happened. I mean, they had lived there for a couple of decades and she didn't want to move, I'm sure. And it was just easier to think, yeah, that's probably what it is, even though the lab says it's typo human blood. So if, in fact, it was human blood, could it again somehow have leaked from William's dialysis machine? and somehow been distributed throughout the house, maybe the ductwork. I mean, who knows? But that would have been impossible, considering the blood collected and analyzed was type O, and William was type A. Okay. As am I. William. Uh-huh. And I'm type O. Boo effect? No, not no, really. No, not I guess. Really, no. Once it was determined that it was, in fact, human blood, the police decided, well, maybe we should look into this a little bit more. (laughs) I guess we'll head back there. Yeah, so they did. And in the process of investigating, they did a, a, a bit of a look into the history of the house itself. And as I mentioned, Minnie 
and William had lived there for about 22 years leading up to this event. Before they bought the house, it was owned by a man named Albert Thompson. Albert was African-American, as were the Winstons, and he worked for the Federal Housing Authority. Was he typo? That we don't know. Okay. What we do know is, one day in 1950, he was driving to work when he was struck broadside by another car that was driven by a white man. The other driver was uninjured. Albert was injured, but was not taken to the hospital. They just sent him home with severe internal bleeding. Oh my goodness. The driver was not charged, and he was let go without even getting a citation. Sadly, Albert died from his injuries in the house later that day. What is even stranger is the date that the house started bleeding was near the anniversary of Thompson's death. Uh Not the exact day, but within a week or two. Minnie held fast to her hot water heater theory, but this didn't stop the press from creating a bit of a media circus surrounding the story. Ah, It's good copy. Minnie at one time told the Associated Press, quote, I still don't know where that blood came from, and I'm tired of all these people asking me all these questions. If anybody comes here today, I'm not going to open my door. The phone rang all night, people asking me questions. I'm fed up with all of this. And then she slammed the door. Minnie and William continued to live in their house for the rest of their lives, William died just a few years after the event took place back in 1987, but Minnie lived to be 104 years old and did not pass away until 2015. The case, to this day, remains unresolved. Did Minnie and William have any connection to the accident that killed Albert? Just the fact that they lived in his house. Okay the house that he died in. And I wish we could go back and and find out if he was type O. I mean, that's a pretty common blood type anyway, but uh, that would have made the story even cooler. So apparently, it seems as though houses can bleed. (laughs) That's your conclusion? Okay. I got my information from Ranker, the Associated Press, Kurt Rowlett's book, Labyrinth 13, True Tales of the Occult, Crime and Conspiracy. That's just weird. Yeah, that is a mystery for sure. My thought is that maybe a relative of Albert's was trying to bring light to this accident that his his relative had been unfairly and unjustly treated uh, before by by dumping blood all maybe, over there. Could I be. There was uh, a theory that Minnie and William were ha- they had a strained relationship with uh, a couple of their children, and one of their children. Uh, an adult, obviously, worked as a nurse and that for some reason she had got the blood from wherever and was like spraying it over the house to freak him out. But what a weird uh, way to know. That's a bit of that a stretch. doesn't make any sense. No, I didn't <laughs> think so either. Pretty much the house bleeds. <laughs> the Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. 
Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle lieutenant elmo zumwalt the third contracted cancer and died at the age of 42 after being exposed to agent orange while deployed in vietnam ironically it was his father admiral elmo zumwalt who ordered the use of agent orange in vietnam well, the episode I did about Clark Rockefeller, the uh, the con man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we talk about how amazing this is. We'll do a story about something, and then somebody directly connected to it will contact us. Um, <laughs> I don't think this is real name. This is his real name. Uh, it's a comment that he made on, I believe it was the Facebook post. Uh, ben Terover. I don't think Mr. Terover's name is actually. Terover. I think probably he's going to feel really badly if it is his real name. And yeah, I'm just going to say Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Um, 
Ben writes, Box 421. I knew Clark Rockefeller when what? he was when he was Christian Gerhard Schreider, a foreign exchange student in Connecticut in the 80s. He lived with my friends, the Savios, and wow. that's exactly what happened. The Savios were the people that uh, he initially made contact with. Like he had met on a train or yeah, something? Exactly. Yeah, that's weird. Like to hear more information, more details on that, Ben. That's amazing. Stuff like that just blows my mind. Mm. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Box of Oddities. I said box. Okay, so it's December 23rd in 2010 on Lyre, which is an island north of Gothenburg, Sweden. Christmas is a pretty big deal in Sweden, and the Bernson family is preparing. It's just after lunch, and Dad, Peter, was fixing stuff up inside the house, and Mother, Annika, took care of firewood in the storage room. Seven-year-old Stella has drawn a treasure map, and she asked to go outside. It's winter in Sweden. Sweden is lovely that time of year. Sweden. It's winter in Sweden, so it's cold as blue flugen, where sailors say fire freezes. But Sweden kids are amazing and just like whatever, I guess. So Stella is outside looking for Santa's fir trees and her parents are inside working on stuff when it comes to them that it's been a bit since they'd seen or heard her playing. Uh-oh. And they started to worry. After about an hour, the parents launched a search operation. Neighbors started to help look for Stella and around 20 people were involved in the manhunt when they came across her footprints and followed them. Now, some of the articles that I read were translated from Swedish. And so <laughs> uh, it said that the neighbors and warmed the warmth in the air down to 12 below degrees. They started looking. <laughs> okay. Um, uh-huh. So sometimes things don't translate great. But yeah, it was like 12 below um, Celsius. And the footprints that they found led to a cliff that was in the back garden. And the footprints went all the way to the edge. 
Scrambling down the cliff, Peter found the footprints continued, which said that Stella had survived the fall off this cliff, and they continued directly into the ocean. Oh, my God. No trace of Stella was visible. So at this point, the sea rescue joined. So police, the rescue services, ambulance, coast guard as well, everyone is looking for Stella. It was half past four at this point, and Stella's parents feared the worst. Stella's mother recalled preparing for the search to be interrupted. It was getting dark, and she thought probably they would call off the search and resume it the next day. Which has got to be a terrifying feeling for a parent. Yeah, she's she's preparing herself emotionally to know that it's not going to be over anytime soon. But suddenly on the communication radio, a lifeguard was heard saying, we have a hit. Stella was floating in the water several hundred meters away from the beach. Oh, no. By this time, she had been in the water for approximately three and a half hours. She was covered in ice and had no pulse. A helicopter rushed her to a local hospital, which was about 90 kilometers away in Gothenburg, and her core temperature was found to be 55 degrees, or 13 degrees Celsius. Oh my God. The medical staff did cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and at the hospital, she was placed on an operating table. A respirator was inserted, her chest was opened, and her heart was connected to a machine that forced circulated her blood. They warmed her body up slowly, back to 32 degrees, and Stella moved her eyes, and her heart began to beat on its own. Oh my God. Stella had been in stage four hypothermia, which there are only four stages, by the way. That is anything below 20 degrees Celsius. At this point, there are no vital signs present. The heart is completely stopped and electrical activity in the brain appears consistent with brain death. But as we know, hypothermia at this level can have a protective effect. It functionally allows you to prolong the time your brain can go without oxygen. And as the famous cardiac arrest treatment saying goes, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Right. Stella was revived 12 hours after she disappeared. Wow. And of course, there were serious concerns about her body and brain function, but she seemed to be improving every day. Shortly afterward, though, Stella contracted a serious infection, and the situation once again became critical. Tiny little baby seven-year-old Stella recovered, though, and after a month of intensive recovery... With the help of physical therapy, Stella regained the ability to walk and move her hands again. Stella regained full control of her movement and made a full recovery. Holy crap. Well, it wasn't until two weeks after the accident that her respirator was disconnected. And a nurse asked her if she wanted some ice cream, and if so, what flavor? And Stella spoke her first word in over two weeks which was strawberry. Hmm. Well, it was Sweden, so it was probably something like Jordgube. Did she talk about uh, remembering anything? Stella doesn't remember anything from that day and very little from the weeks following. But by the spring, she was back to school. She loves to play the piano. She swims, hopefully in warm water. Yeah. Um, she loves pets, and this was in 2014. I assume she still loves the pets, um, but whatever. My favorite part of this story is that the family now celebrates 
January 6th as Strawberry Day. Oh. It's the date that Stella ordered her ice cream at the hospital. My heart. Stella was quoted in the local newspaper as saying, we eat strawberries and strawberry ice cream and we drink strawberry juice. And that's how they celebrate Strawberry Day, the day that Stella spoke her first word in two weeks after being frozen. How many hours? You said she was in the water for three and a half hours, Mm. they estimated. Yeah. So she probably was clinically dead for a couple of hours anyway. Probably. And then several more hours at the hospital before she was revived. That's remarkable. I wish that she could remember something, though. Yeah. It's so disappointing to me. (laughs) I I had a friend who died on the operating table Mm -hmm. for like eight minutes or something like that. And he was revived and he was fine. Um, And I couldn't wait until he came home so I could ask him if he saw anything, you know, like lights at the end of the tunnel or anything. He's like, no, I just woke up. It was very anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I feel like it may be a little unfair of you to to demand that kind of thing from people who have recently died. Well, I waited until he got home. Well, that's that's nice. I mean, I'm not crazy. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. That's accurate. <laughs> as far as I know, though, Stella still holds the record for having had the lowest body temperature and surviving, which is pretty amazing. That's a remarkable story. And and, and what a beautiful idea. Strawberry Day. Yeah. I kind of want to celebrate Strawberry Day, too. Like, I'm just I'm thrilled that she survived. And I love strawberries. Well, so, OK, I got most of my information from blitzlift.com, todayifoundout.com and the Gottsberg Posten. What a remarkable young lady. That's yeah. crazy. I tried to find her on Facebook, but unsuccessful because she's got to be like 19 now. Yeah, that's right. She would be. Yeah. Again, thanks to everybody who came out to see the live shows. We appreciate the company. It was a great time. We had so much fun. We'll get back out on the road probably first of next year. We're going to take the rest of the year off. We've got a couple things that are happening that's going to require a lot of attention, not the least of which the second podcast that we're producing, The Shallow End uh, with Schneebly and Toth, debuts in just weeks. It would have debuted sooner if I hadn't gotten trapped in Charlotte. Thanks, Schmontier Airlines. Also big thanks, not sarcastically, to Bailey, Chloe, and Jillian, uh, three of our new patrons. We appreciate you so much. We do. And if you would like to become a member of the uh, Order of Freaks and support the podcast on Patreon, just go to theboxofoddities.com. The link is right there. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. 
everyone's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.